Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book from the queens of crime. To help me are two qualified high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm the king of crime. No, that's no, you're not. Nick, no, no, you're no, not no, the no. king of crime. But I don't have alliteration. Like, I can't say I'm the king of high school English teaching. Like, that would be cocky and not alliterative. So, I think first you have to be the king of something. Yeah, I'm the prince of. Are, would puns? you say you're the? I don't really. Would pun you say that you're the much. king of locks? You're the lock king. You definitely workshop something sure, here, Joe. Lock king. The, yeah. Well, this is this is a free space, open space. Yeah. The queen of curriculum. Uh, the, oh, ooh, that's ooh, the good. king. I, I think king of curriculum could work just as well because it's yep. got the hard K. How so? King of what about kookiness? Or that doesn't even um, make sense. Bars or Kit Kats? What about Kit Kats? Why don't you be the king of presenting your book? All right. <laughs> and if All you right. said you were the I king of the, Kit Kats, technically that's KKK. We don't really want to go there. Ooh, so. That's true. That's Joe. true. Uh, do you ever go to a baseball game and you see like yes. when they hang the three strikeouts on the on the outfield wall and you're like, oh God, please get a fourth strikeout. Uh, <laughs> all right, my name is Joe Holshue. I am a high school English teacher. And if you are looking for a book to read this week from the Queen of Crime, I have brought the Queen herself, Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. Hello, Joe. Twirls mustache. Hello, Nick. <laughs> adjusts monocle hello litheads accuses criminal very good today i am detective <laughs> ian DeYoung. i'm a suspiciously bland high school english teacher and i brought <laughs> nio marsh's best book clutch of constables she is one of the queens of crime and i'm just now getting that the title is a, a pun okay good prince of lifetime puns. queen of crime prince of puns king of curriculum May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> I was recently berated, um... <laughs> by uh, uh, an in-law family member for not reading more and that I'm not qualified to be on this show. I'd like to address that now. Was that uh, Joe? <laughs> Live on air. I look, nope. she's, Nick, This is a safe spot. Welcome yeah. to Tiffany's, Nick, where you talk about <laughs> these family members space. that have berated you and your lingering guilt. I think that she's right. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'd like to step down. <laughs> <laughs> Let heads vote in if you think the show would be better with just Ian. <laughs> I don't. If it was I really just Ian and so. I. We would be so far up our own asses. It would be. Uh, it would be so intolerable. Do you know how much I cut out Let heads of them just <laughs> talking lots. about prose? <laughs> Well, welcome, Litheads, uh, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week we pick a theme, or you recommend one, like today's theme, recommended by Grace, Queens of Crime, and uh, Ian and Joe, two qualified high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner, of course, and it works. And we have some show rules, of course, uh, as well. Of course, of course, of course. Um, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, big gentlemen. Rule this number week. two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be critical it's in our, our murder mystery. <laughs> uh, rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. Those could go hand in hand. And rule number three, only winning matters. Are you guys ready to win today? I'm ready, I'm ready to, to crush win. the competition, which is in this case, 
Joseph Harvey Holshue. Okay, explain who the cre- the queens of crime are, because I didn't know it, uh, certainly until Grace recommended it. And did you guys? I don't know. So this is not something, this is not a term I heard before, but it feels so familiar and so friendly. It feels like you should have heard it before. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, the queens mm-hmm. of crime are a, they're not actually queens, Nick. I want you to get that out of your head right now. They don't have lands. Um, Let me just put this deck of cards away then and <sighs> cancel the rest of my jokes. I think a couple <laughs> of them are like like dames or duchesses, things like True. that. True, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the Queens of Crime is a loosely affiliated group of female mystery writers. I believe all writing mostly between the two world wars, right? So between, I guess, from like 1920s up until 1940s seems to be where they are. Um, um, Agatha Christie is who I brought today. Dorothy Sayers, Marjorie Allenham, and Nagayo Marsh. You didn't it's, say it like that, Dan. It's, it's Nayo Marsh. The G is silent. Let's go with Nagayo. Nayo Marsh. And then there's a few others that get thrown in there, like Josephine Tay, Gladys Mitchell, um, etc. But it's pretty much like these female mystery writers writing in a very specific era who were dominant, ultra prolific. I don't know how to describe them. Like who, like who produced badass. a lot of the think yeah kind of badasses who produced a lot of what we think of today as canonical or um iconic mystery writing grace uh asked a question when she submitted this theme as well she said why are the best known mystery writers mainly women so you guys are obviously qualified to answer this so <laughs> i can go for it <laughs> let's roll baby i think this is a really interesting question and i it was a stumper. It was a stumper when Grace suggested this book. It was a stumper when I started um, reading and then thinking about this. Um, and it, it it was a stumper until kind of earlier today when I realized that for a long time, reading has been gendered as feminine, like kind of cultural in the West, cultural images of reading are kind of connected to femininity and especially reading in the genres. So reading like romance or kind of pulpy fiction, pulpy like Penny Dreadfuls. Um, and, and eventually mystery kind of gets lumped in. It's one of the genres. Mystery writing predates science fiction. It's one of the older genres um, as opposed to like just sort of classic like literary fiction. I think it predates science too. Probably. Um, <laughs> Probably. So I don't quite understand the connection between these women writers and and mystery writing, but I think the fact that reading has been gendered feminine and um, mysteries are kind of a, one of the, it's looped in with the, the genres that are um, gendered feminine, not super surprising to me. But I can't answer this. Definitely, there was a law in 1925 that said no boys are allowed to write mystery. This was a thing. Okay. In teacher school, we learned about this. And one of the speculations for the decline in education that was posited by my professor in teacher school is they said, Hey, at a certain point in America, if you were a woman, you could have three jobs, right? Right. Like you could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, or you could be, I forget what the other one was, mother, I guess. Right. Something like that. Um, They said, so like the result was you had all of these hyper qualified women, right? Like hyper intelligent, hyper astute, like, like people who would go on to become teachers because that was one of the things that they could do. Um, And I wonder if it's like the same thing with genre writing going on. where like, if seeing the, you know, if you look at the genres and they are seen as less than or somehow, then maybe like the women were more allowed to write for genre and like you ended up with, yeah, 
I could be. Uh, I also think that to some extent, like these four, especially Christy and Marsh, I don't know much about Allingham, but um, Christy and Marsh were super prolific. Yeah. Um, they produced a lot. And when you, th- that, that helps, that helps you be um, well regarded is if, is if when people go to the, the library to for truth, very sorry to find a book by this person. And there's like 14 on the shelves. Yeah. Okay. You're going to mm-hmm. think, great. I'll, I'll take through those. Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds and tell me what your book is about? All right. Nick, Agatha Christie is the Duchess of Death, the Mistress of Mystery, and yes, one of the Queens of Crime. She published 85 books in her lifetime, much to Ian's point about her prolificness, uh, and they've sold between two and four billion, with a B, copies. That is more than J.K. Rowling, Dr. Seuss, R.L. Stein, Danielle Steele, and Stephen King combined. This book that I brought this week, uh, and then there were none, 1939, 250 pages, is her most popular. It is also the one that she is proudest of. It sold 100 million copies, and after reading it, Nick, all I can say is I get it. 30 seconds. Ian, your turn. Dazzle me. (laughs) Eight strangers set out to take a riverboat pleasure cruise together. Kinky. By the end of the trip, two of them are dead. Another has fled. Oh, no. Art crimes are in the process of being committed and a fancy jewel has gone missing. Mistaken identities and alibis abound against the vaguely unsettling backdrop of an English river in the 1960s. This week, I read Clutch of Constables by Niall Marsh. Really good. Thank you. I talked a lot about what was in it and less about like alliterative names you could give to. Right. Yeah. uh, Duchess of Death. Yeah. Mistress of Mystery. Hey, Joe. You mm-hmm. say that she's she's the most proud of this book. Yeah, she that that's what she says. She is the this is and then Joe. Of, what would you say? Could you just like enunciate clearly the the original title of this book? Oh just no! Speak it directly into the mic. He's leading you down a path, oh, God, Joe. No, it's a trap. No, no, Whatever no. he's doing, it's a trap. This book may or may not have been titled certain things that are no longer acceptable today. Uh, it has been revised over the years, and the book of this oh, that's interesting. Uh, the title of this book is now called "And Then There Were None." It was revised. It was. Revised oh, no. almost instantly. Oh no! Yeah. It, was it was published revised. in England in 1939 as Ten Little N Words, and yeah. then in- holy shit! What? <laughs> and then in 1940, when it was published in America, they're like, "Yeah, okay, we're not gonna go <laughs> One of the things I loved about, wow. about so to be fair, uh, in Agatha Christie's defense, I should say the title is taken oh. after the name of a poem, which so, so, so as, she's she's well, a not. much older poem, that she wanted right? to amplify. And then yeah. and then I just want to note, I just want to note that the UK in the UK, this this title remained the original title remained in circulation until really 1985. Late. Yeah, wow. this might be the best argument for censoring art i've ever heard (laughs) this is on you couldn't write a more offensive she wrote the most offensive title joe we gotta start with your book
So, Nick, I suppose we should start by talking about that poem. It's not where I was planning on starting, but Ian has, as usual, played masterful defense, and I'm going to talk about the poem that sits at the center of this book. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That'd be great, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's let it set the tone for not only your book, but the episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, This poem, this book was initially called 10 Little N-Words. It was revised in some editions, like Ian said, almost immediately to 10 Little N-Words. Indians and then later on oh, that's much better. Yeah, much just, better. They just went through different cultures. Huh? Yep. Just and then, and then when through. America went woke, right? It would no. And then it was like <laughs> shortly after that revised to 10. Uh, I'm sorry. And then there were none. The title is taken from a poem that serves as a a pretty heavy plot device in this book. The prologue to this book, the entire forward to this book, is just the poem right? is just this poem. And you, the closest you might be familiar to this is, have you ever heard the song, um, 10 little monkeys jumping on the bed? One fell off and bumped his head. Bumped his head. Of yeah. course. I sing you it to my it. daughter. I used to sing that to my daughter every night. Now I won't. So <laughs> the premise of this poem is the exact same thing, right? Like it starts with 10 little soldiers. And then the poem yeah. goes stanza by stanza of all the various ways that the soldiers die. Unlike the monkeys, which just fall off and Wait, bump the their head. Dying in that mm-hmm. when they, when it, when it says bump their head, is that a, a euphemism for they're dead. Ian move Cran- on cranial. Yeah, implosion? They, are, oh, they no. are dead. Unlike. Oh, one second. Sorry. Well, he's looking for the poem. I'll read a, uh, a quote from a, a critic, a critical for- reading of, uh, of this. That up, Ian. Agatha Christie's work is not known for its racial sensitivity. And by modern standards, her oeuvre is rife with casual Orientalism. Wow, we've offended so many, so people, many people in this episode. This right no, 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 we're not offending so people, people because we're calling it out. Uh, ah, yes, now we're amplifying it. it. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Joe, is this, does the content of this poem, is this uh, at all relevant to the story? I mean, is it? Yeah. Sorry, so, keep, keep yep, explaining So it. not only is this poem relevant to the story, it is vital to the story. It is the ah. backbone that the story is built okay. around. Right. Um, in, in the poem, we start with 10 little soldiers. They die one by one, all in interesting or varied ways. One chokes, and then there were nine. The next one oversleeps, and then there were eight. The next one um, travels to Devon, and he stays there, and then there were seven, etc. going all down. Before I go more into the poem, though, I want to break off a little bit of the premise of this book. Um, I guess. <laughs> well, okay. I, I think this is, this is a, actually a really interesting conundrum because the book kind of has this casual racism baked into it. And, and yet it's one of the ones that Christy says is her favorite. And I think when we reckon with somebody, somebody who's somebody who sold it like literally billions of books I think you can't just pretend we can't just pretend. Oh, her favorite was um the other one, which doesn't have the slur in the title. Like we yeah. can't do that. That's that's a historical. Maybe we say All right. she's the worst, but I think it's interesting to, to put those two in tension. I mean, I feel like this is something we've talked about with other authors before. I think Absolutely. like it was it was very much like. I think when Agatha Christie titled her book this, she was not trying to offend anyone. She was coming from a culture in which this did not seem as particularly offensive, right? Um, it seemed like you could sure. be the, one of the most pop, like one of the most widely published authors in the world and title your book this. And I don't want to say nobody bats an eye because it was revised shortly after that. But like it's your publisher also doesn't stop you. Let's put it that way. So what year, <laughs> what year did it come out? And then what year did they revise it? 
Um, so it came out initially in 1939. The way that these things go, like there's different versions that exist in different countries. It came out in the United States with the revised title very shortly after that. Um, however, in the UK, it was revised in... 85, 1985. A long time after, in 1985. So, Joe, tell us what the book is about. Yeah. So, the premise of this book is 10 people are invited to an isolated island off the coast of Devon. Each has received an unexpected personal invitation, and all of the invitations were like crazy personal. Like, they knew details about these people's lives that only these people or a handful of closest friends would know. They were able to entice the people to this island in a way that was particularly enticing for these people. They all accept the invitation. They get there and they're met by the butler, cook, housekeeper. The butler and cook count as two of these 10 people. Um, And the butler and cook explain that their host haven't yet arrived, but they've left instructions. Joe, it's a great setup. It's a really good set. Yes. Um, I'll open up. I'll, I'll take questions now. Have you seen a film, a film I like to call Glass Onion Union? I have, I have not seen Glass Onion. Is oh, it fudge. topical? Nick, have you really seen Glass good. Onion? Oh, man. Okay. Have so I, we, no spoilers. Lit, lit heads, no, only it spoilers. Just, it's just terrible. <laughs> Wait, really? Okay. Well, anyway, I think it's, it's super interesting. I, I, I hadn't read this book in quite some time. I had forgotten how like closely glass onions takes its setup from kind of what's going on here. That's all I have to yeah. say. It's just a reminder that there's nothing new under the sun, but maybe Agatha no. Christie was kind of in- innovating here a little bit. And what I think so far is that it's really hard to get past the first part of this presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Inside of each one of their rooms, there's a framed copy of the 10 little soldiers poem hanging in the guest room. And uh, on the dining room God. table, on the it's dining everywhere. room table, there are 10 figurines, 10 figurines. After supper the first night, a phonograph record is played, and the recording accuses each visitor and Mr. and Mrs. Rogers, the butler and the cook, of having committed secret murder. It then asks them if they wish to offer a defense. So, 10 people invited to a mysterious island. They arrive there, and there is no host. After the first night's dinner, a phonograph uh, recording plays and accuses all 10 of them of individual, very specific, and very different murders from each other, all of which have not been solved, like all of which these culprits have gotten away with. So they're all accused of murder. They're all 10 of these guests have been accused of murder. Accused of murder off, like off the island in their previous life. Off the island in their previous lives. Some of these are years ago at this point, like years and years ago. It sounds spooky, Joe. Is it spooky? Well, if you were on the island, I think it would yeah, be awfully guess, spooky. No, guess, yeah. <laughs> um, as a reader, it was more enticing. It was more like riveting. Um, one of the cool things about the murders that these people were accused of is all like none of them were like, you robbed a convenience store and you shot a man and he died. And therefore, like you can be tried <laughs> for murder. Petty crime. No, well, it was murders. all things like they were all clever enough murders that they would escape the notice of traditional justice. Right. There were things that 
that you couldn't be brought to trial for, or it would be incredibly hard to prove if you did be brought to trial. So for example, the butler and the cook, a husband and wife, they were um, the butler and cook at an old lady's estate. That old lady needed a kind of regular medicine in order to survive. And the butler and cook realizing that they were going to get a small inheritance if the old lady just didn't get that medicine one day, made sure that she didn't get that medicine one day, right? They die. She died. She's an old lady. Old ladies die all the time, right? They get their inheritance. They sure do. They go off. And um, now, only upon being invited to this island, are they accused of murder by someone. In the time it takes to listen to this podcast, three old women will have died. Oh, God, more than that. They drop like flies. It's your fault. Lidheads, it's your fault. And it's all all Joe's fault. You should have given them the medicine, Lidheads. Joe, so how does this all... Joe, how does this all unfold? Yeah. So obviously we don't want to know who the killer is. Is the premise that one of these... Okay, can I guess what happens? Uh, sure. You have to tell you We've right. done this before. 30 seconds yep. on the clock. What happens, All right, Nick? 30 seconds on the clock. Start. Nick, go. All right. Everybody is immediately defensive, right? Mm-hmm. So they each have to one by one prove their innocence to these essentially complete strangers. But somehow they're they're drawn to prove their innocence, not just leave. So they have to one by one. And then, you know, oh, this I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Ultimately, the last person standing is the murderer. Um. The host is okay. That was number one. The ho- number two, uh, the host is one of the members there, and he's slowly uh, trying to solve his murderer that he had some relationship with. He he was he he know, like he knows the other person is there, and the, as he just accuses them all, and that's his way of like fleshing out this detective. All right, mm. so uh, that's number two. That's number your three. Time. Ooh, ah. good, good. Nick, as so often with this game. You've touched on pieces of things that hey, happen in nice this book, job. right? You've touched let's on. Let's give Nick a big round of applause. I'm also clapping with hands. <laughs> how did how do these um, uh, murders unfold? Because obviously there's yeah. probably some grand reveal at the end. But I would imagine is can you tell us that without uh, yeah yeah spoiling I, th- I think I can do that too, without too I think I can do that without spoiling. So the first thing that happens is people don't react to the phonograph in a consistent way. So it's not like everybody's like, no, I didn't do that. This is crazy. Some people are like that. Like some people are like, oh, this is ridiculous. I, I, how dare you? And other people are like, yeah, I think it's talking about this guy that I knew it was totally an accident. And other people are like, oh yeah, I definitely did that. Right. Like I, I 100% fun. did that. Yes. I wallowed in his. Yeah, so the initial again. reactions, the initial reactions cover the gamut. What happens then is these people, these guests at this party start one by one dying in mysterious ways. And oh, snap. Double this murders. Is, this is where the poem comes back. They die in ways that perfectly mirror the stanzas of the poem in order. So, for example, that first one, 10 little soldier boys went out to dine, one choked his little self, and then there were nine. The very first person that dies on this island, like, his death is, like, portrayed as a choking death, right? At first, it seems like an accident, but then when the next person doesn't wake up the next morning, oversleeps herself, and then there were eight, now something this weird is, terrifying. is going on. Yeah, Isn't, it's um, terrifying. 
Now is they're it, terrified of you. Oh, wait, I have one more thing to, that's oh, going to make it oh. even more terrified. They're all racist. Do you remember the figurines on the table? The 10 figurines on the table? They're disappearing, aren't they? They disappear yeah, one of course by they one. Do. And, of a course lot, they and do. sometimes people don't even know there's been a murder until they walk past the table yeah. and they're like, I mean, if you set oh, that up, shit. if you're the serial killer who set up this like murder island, yes, you're going to remove the figurines. You can yes, see that absolutely. coming a mile away. That's just like so good. It's a classy move. This is a serial killer book, then. It's a secret serial yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a person killing. It is a person killing people in a serialized way. Yes. Yeah. Good. Does he ever? Yeah. He or she ever <laughs> kill them with cereal? The ah, uh, can't say. Can't say. <laughs> Spoilers, Ian. Rule no, number no, whatever sorry, that is. Sorry, I I withdraw the uh, question, Your Honor. Joe, this is almost one of those books where I really don't want to know anything. No, nope. so so like literally, my next <laughs> note is I don't think I can talk much more about this book without spoiling <laughs> the enjoyment. Like it is so full of twists and turns and shocks that even like a mild discussion of it might spoil things. It has all the murder mystery stuff that you hope. It has red herrings. It has double bluffs. Every once in a while, people are all called into the same room and like all the evidence that they know so far is summed up and then they go their separate ways. I really dig that. Um, I thought out of all the murder mysteries I've read, and I've read a few for this show, not only is this the one that I enjoyed the most, but it was the one that I played along with the most, right? Like I found myself keeping lists of evidence. I found myself like thinking of guilty characters. And then when they would be killed off, I'd be like, oh, dang, I thought for sure I had it right. Like, um, I mean, I found myself people's a lot. It's a lot. Paint a paint a picture here. What does this island look like? Where is it? Is this in oh, the it Caribbean? Is, is, so it's no, it's not in the Caribbean. It's off the coast of England and it is barren like nothing is on this island except a brand new state-of-the-art mansion so it's not like it's kind of weird because it's not in like an old spooky haunted house with all sorts of nooks and crannies that like the that the murderer could hide away in it's on like a island with nothing on it except for a brand new mansion that's like airy and open and and modern it doesn't have nooks and crannies for people to hide away and as you can imagine, at a certain point after they realize people are, um, and this is very early in the book, after they realize the, what's going on, that, you know, a, that, that murder is afoot here, they do an exhaustive search of the island to figure out, okay, there must be somebody on this island that we don't know about. Like, there has to be, right? Like, because it's it clearly not one of us, one of us 10 it can't people. Be one of us. Us. Can't I'm be innocent. one of us. Can't be one of us. I'm innocent. And of course, they do an exhaustive search of the island and they find nobody. So the other added tension to this is that the serial killer is (laughs) among them. And the entire time, as people are falling off one by one, you are trying to figure out which one of these people is not actually scared by all of this, but has the means, the motive, the opportunity to not only kill these people in creative and um, scripted ways, but also like get to that table and sneak away those figurines without anybody seeing it. I'd yes. just be staring at the table. Yeah, that, that, the that's, table. that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, somebody watch the table. Watch the table. Nick, Joe, Litheads, uh, my book is all about the countryside. And that made me think a little bit about farming and the countryside and so on and so forth. So what would you say if we did some farming books next week? Okay. Mm. Is this just going to be Joe? telling stories that's i is it cool <laughs> if i don't bring a book but just bring like maybe the some book stories of my life experience <laughs> joe if they're good stories a hundred percent have i ever told a not good story on this uh, show oh man <laughs> on that one uh yeah i think that's great and, and, and this is in part wonderful because 
Lidheads, we had a, a farming book recommended. Uh, Lidhead Silas recommended a book called Gaining Ground. And the author's name isn't immediately coming up in front of me, but it's Forrest something. <laughs> Pritchard. Forrest Pritchard. I mean, I think Forrest is a great name for somebody who's farming because mm-hmm. it's pretty much the opposite of a farm. Yeah, because yeah. forests are made out of um, vegetables. Yeah, Pre-farmed right. land. Pre-farmed land. Uh, and Ian, if you're bringing a book about forests, if I understood you correctly, you I'm going to bring a book about mud. <laughs> I'm bringing a book called Mud Season, How One Woman's Dream of Moving to Vermont, Raising Children, Chickens and Sheep, and Running an Old Country Store pretty much led to one calamity after another. I anticipate it will be a rip-riot good time. Ian... Ian, uh, give me the premise so I can guess your, who the killer is in your book <laughs> oh, This now. is a great game. <laughs> it's really interesting because as Joe was talking about that, I, I was realizing my book doesn't even like try to do, to, to, to give you the opportunity to figure it out. It's my book is less of a puzzle and more of a, more of kind of a building thriller. So Ian, actually twist, twist. Can you tell us, can you tell us about your author? Because out of the list of people that we, um listed uh i've never heard of this person sure right um so yeah she's she's an interesting character and and uh joe you said that these queens of crime were kind of writing between um between the wars and she got started early like close to the beginning of the second world war but she was really writing she wrote i think into the 70s maybe even the 80s she was writing much much later than um than uh the others were um long after christy was dead and so her books are kind of feel a little bit more modern i'll talk more about that in a second um but she was born in new zealand uh her first name is um a little bit of just to kind of keep that 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 thing going cultural appropriation so apparently this is a custom that european kids born in new zealand were often given maori names and so how many European kids were born in New Zealand? Well, it was a it was a British colony. Oh, the British were all colonizing sure. up in I there. Think so. a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, we all yeah. knew that. <laughs> like when I think of New Zealand, I think of white people today. So I think that means quite a few European uh, kids were born. <laughs> so so her parents weren't super well off. She kind of she kind of bummed around a little bit before she got into writing and before she became super successful. Um, she was homeless for a while. No, she did. She wasn't Bum. homeless. She had kind of parallel lives. She did like she loved the theater. And so she was like a theater director and associated with the theater. And she was kind of doing that. But her writing was the other big thing that she did. And that sort of funded, honestly, the theater passion. Um, a lot of her books kind of cross over where um, they, they take place in the theater or they're connected to theater um, in, in some way. So um, she's that most annoying kind of theater person, the theater person who is successful in another field, oh, but manages God. to still make everything about her interest in theater. Um, really just a, a wonderful sort of, let's so, talk um, about theater. Yeah. She, she's like a really it. interesting, an interesting character. Um, she never married after her death. People were like, huh, she had a lot of close friends with women. Do you think she was a lesbian? We'll never know because mm. this is my favorite fact about Niall Marsh towards the okay. end of her life. She was like, good luck biographers. I'm going to systematically destroy most of the papers associated with my person. I'm like, burning letters, it all, baby. Handwritten manuscripts, documents into the fire. I'm burning it all. Um, I just, I love yeah. sort of taking, that's a power move. I mean, that's really good. That. Yeah. Taking control of her legacy like that. So yeah, she's a, she's an interesting character and, and I, I'm, I, I would love to read more of her books. This is a kind of a breath of fresh air. 
I don't mean to diss Christy in this regard, but even though Christy was super good at plotting, when she got a little formulaic at times, I think this is the big risk with these prolific mystery writers. They get yeah. formulaic, and Christy gets formulaic in a way that uh, this didn't seem formulaic. Now, if I read more of Niall Marsh, maybe she'll turn out to be super formulaic too. But yeah, we'll yeah, see. it's okay. We don't need that commentary, right? New Horizon. Yeah, so tell us about what's that, Joe? We're just reading the one. Yeah, we're just reading the one. Like, I just read one yeah, book. Over the next corpus? 30 years, we'll formulate our, our thoughts on her as we work through her catalog. Stay Absolutely. tuned, Litheads. But That's for now, let's let's just focus on this book. So yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so this book, um, this book has a, a main point of view character who is not a cop, not a, a detective. She is a somewhat famous painter. Her husband is a cop, but... She's just kind of a she's just a painter. She 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 does paintings, and it makes sense that that she's the main character because this is a, a book about art forgery among many many other Ooh, crimes. I think Ooh. art forgery is so interesting. Yeah, like yes. when, what is so interesting about it, Joe? Oh, like when you get like oh, how do I say this? Yeah, how do you say this? Any I, it, any idiot can rob a bank. For $20,000, right? Like, like any idiot can walk into a bank with a gun and get away with a bag full of money. I mean, we've but all done it. Raise your a, any moron could be a but millionaire. But to forge a Michelangelo and sell it to a Saudi prince for $470 million or whatever it is. Good for you. Like, like good for you. you At that point, yeah. I don't even think you can be pissed. You've earned it. Right. You have earned $470 million. <laughs> that's, that's, that's too much money. No one should have that much money. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. It's and it, I, I like it too because it's it's not just your standard murder. Now there are murders in the story, but the obviously. bigger obviously the bigger mystery is this 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 art crime. So our main character is this painter. Her husband is a cop. She's not she's not an expert, and that's the really cool thing about this book because she goes sort of she goes on this boat trip uh, up a river in in England. Um, this is apparently something you did in the 1960s. You just got on a boat Who hasn't? with some strangers. It's like a cruise, but <laughs> I guess less communicable diseases um sure. fewer kind of sewage fountains mm-hmm. so she goes on this river riverboat trip what? and along the way her sense is that something is off oh her spidey <laughs> sense tingles yeah, but yeah she's, what kind of sense she's not a cop so she she goes and she talks to the cops and she's like i just like this happened and this happened and like i feel like someone's off. and they're like oh wow that it's hard. That's hard. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, really dismissive of her, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. The, and she's like grouchy because they're condescending and she's like doubting herself. But she's seeing these little things and she's recounting them like we, we get to see kind of what's going on. And we're like, yeah, yeah, maybe something is going on. And of course, it's a mystery. So we know. So so the, the story progresses. Somebody somebody disappears and then somebody dies and her reactions are not like your your kind of stoic policeman, your stoic detective, like I will solve the crime. She's she's freaked out. She's kind of wigged out by it. And we 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 watch along with her as this this the conspiracy and the plot thickens and deepens and um there's legitimate danger. And by the end of the story, we're you know we're we're completely to coin a phrase on board with it. I think I think in good detective fiction and good mystery fiction, 
the main character can't be an expert. They can't know everything. No. And if they do, we are going Unless to Sherlock struggle. No, like the show or the books. Because I the, honestly have no idea, Ian. Well, but like what Ian's saying is like <laughs> Watson's the narrator. Yeah, Watson tells a story. And that's important because if we were inside the mind of Sherlock, it would just be like the, the story confusing. would be two paragraphs long and probably yes. wet. <laughs> I, don't, I miss something. Um, we're inside think, of his mind. It's in. Oh, wet. that's true. Yeah, it would be wet like inside shrunk brain, down yes. really small and injected. You'd have to wear some uh, high boots, high like like tall rubber boots, like you're in the jungle. Keep going, squish, squish, squish. This story, <laughs> this, this story has what you might call too many crimes. There's just like nonstop. Ah. There's there's a lot of crimes, and uh, it's got a main character who's a little bit befuddled. Is this? Are, is it all on a boat? Like, do the crimes all happen on the cruise? Yeah, it is. It's like that. It's kind of like that locked room situation where there are mm-hmm. eleven people on this boat, and. They're tying up at the, the shore. It could be somebody else, but it, more or less, it comes down to one of you is an international art thief and murderer, and the rest of you are his accomplices, except for one person. There's one innocent person on board besides our main character. Who is it going to be? It's really it's a really cool conceit. It's really well set up. So is it just the book is this kind of this um, you're totally f- looking at the story f- through her eyes, right? More or less. And it's this slow unraveling of, of kind of the, the story. Most of the story is that, but there's a really interesting little stylistic thing, which I love, um, which kind of kind of gives it a second level. The style of this book is pretty, pretty, pretty uh, just adept. It's just like it's it's good storytelling. It's. Yeah, interesting. It's good dialogue, kind of straight to the point. Nothing out of the ordinary, except there's this double narrative. So every chapter of this, there are 10 chapters in this book. Every chapter begins in the classroom of the main detective. So if you've got your Watson character, the painter, Troy is her name. Her husband is the Sherlock Holmes. He's the detective. He's the one who kind of comes in and helps solve the crime. So every chapter begins in his classroom as he's teaching junior detectives about crime solving and using this case. Oh, I love that. That's really good. Ian, that's really great. He's using this case as his example and the beauty, like it must've been pretty hard challenging for, for Marsh to kind of make this work in every like little intro bit. He's like kind of laying out some of the stuff that's going to happen in the chapter, but he's not going to be like, and then my wife fired the revolver into the man's chest. He's got to yeah, say just like, like beautifully teased. Like the chapter yeah. is just like perfectly ooh, ooh. teased. And it's like every yeah. beginning, every every chapter beginning is like honestly a little trailer for what's going to happen in this yeah. chapter. It kind of reminds me of uh, No Country for Old Men. I really like that uh, storytelling mechanism or whatever you call it, where like you each chapter or every once in a while, you kind of revisit this scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's kind of like this static thing that happens. Yeah. Throughout the well, book. And you could call no it like a framing device or something like that is easy enough. And it, it, it's OK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a framing device. And, and this is a that's just, a, that's just a framing device. Yeah. Well, but, okay, but I'm sorry. A lot, no, okay, no, a lot of times sorry, framing man. devices, a lot of times framing devices happen at the beginning at the end. This is persistent to the extent that there is a there's a character in the classroom who is this Scottish guy who like he's he's the one who always raises his hand first Annoying. and enlist all the presidents of the United States in order. Okay, you shut your <laughs> mouth. You you betrayer. 
Wow. You fiend. <laughs> I think of that story three times a Can month. Can you explain that deep cut <laughs> oh. of a... Ian once told a story on the show, Nick, as you obviously remember, about how... Um, I, I forget exactly the premise of it, but the... I was in a class and, and the professor was like making a point. He's like, none of you can name the presidents of the United States backwards. And I raised my hand. I was like, I can. And I and Ian raised his hand and he was like, oh, Obama, a Clinton, I think I got to uh, George W. before he shut me down. <laughs> that's amazing. But so like, I know you've told that. I just wanted to hear it again. Yep, that's great. <laughs> I remember the story. I hate, I hate that I used to be that person. Uh, so, so like, hey, we, it, this character, this, this try hard is <laughs> in the classroom and we get to know him and we get to see like other characters in the classroom kind of like, kind of looking down their noses at him. And, and so it's not just a frame narrative for, for um, utilitarian purposes. It's, it's interesting. It's, we get to know the voice of the detective better. So that's a really cool stylistic thing about this, about this story. I think the thing I love the most about this book, the thing that's going to stick with me is the wonderful, wonderful setting. So, okay. It sounds like Joe's book is kind of, I mean, you're, you're using words like deserted and, and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe sparse as yep, far as sparse. It may be pretty atmospheric, but you're not going to get a ton of like vivid setting. That's maybe a difference. This book kind of puts side by side. The the literary term is juxtapose. This book juxtaposes um, this this kind of idyllic English, like very conventionally, classically English beauty, natural beauty. This is what everyone goes on the cruise for, to see the river and the trees. This is a landscape that this famous painter, uh, John Constable, painted a bunch of times and they're trying to forge his painting. That's the whole painting thing. Um, and there there's like the boat is super cozy and the ink, there are ruined like abbeys. And then there's locks, Joe. There are oh, locks no, in this book. Ian, how, do, how is that not in your 30 seconds? There's a, my boats. My book is about boats. It's about locks. It's about rivers. There's I'm a weird. It's, it's so. But but so there's this beautiful, this beautiful side. Right. And then there's also a detergent factory, which dumps waste <laughs> directly Ooh, into the river. Out on Polluting us. the beautiful English countryside. Polluting. And it also spews like this nasty kind of foamy scum. Yeah, and the ooh. scum kind of has this, this otherworldly, it's, it's on, it's on, unnatural. Why did it's we wait so long to talk about the scum? scum, the detergent scum. And then, and so I, as I was preparing for this episode, I was realizing there's another, there's a, another layer to this where they're, they're floating through the scum. It's like the beauty is kind of tainting the river. And then every night, the river fog, they call it the creeper kind of washes over the hole. And it's like, it's pea soup. It's super thick. Does it play a narrative role in the climax? You bet it does. And so you got <laughs> the white Christ. fog flowing through the river and you got the scum, the, the detergent scum polluting. It's, it's just the atmosphere on this is off the charts and it's just a really cool beauty juxtaposed with creepy kind of glorious juxtaposed with gross um it stuck with me um lots well, the juxtaposed juxtaposing it's all, all weird all stuff next place. to weird stuff Uh, gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe space where you can tell me all the bad things about your book and it won't be held against you. Joseph, tell me something yes. terrible. I, I mean, 
I don't know. Well, do you want to say another thing that's terrible yeah, I'll, about I'll your book? Thing. Or? I'll, I'll say another thing. Um, I One of the things that was hard about reading my book is 10 characters is a lot to keep track of. Yeah. Right? And especially when they're all acting and interacting with one another, and especially early in this book, mm. when all ten of them were still off. around, yeah. um, it was tricky to it was tricky to keep track of. Did you take notes like a nerd? Uh, so I did briefly, but then I realized that in 2015, the BBC had released a three-part like miniseries that was, and then there nice. were none with all sorts of famous British actors. So after I was like halfway through the book, I watched the first episode of that miniseries. And from then on, I was like, oh, right. I know who the doctor is. He's the guy with the mustache. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, Joe, I know I've who the judge is. He's Tyrion Lannister, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> It made it a lot easier. So it was very challenging to keep track of 10 characters early in this. It got a little cumbersome. Ian, tell me something real nasty. I don't, I actually don't have anything. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Ian, you lose for not having anything. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Uh, Joe, you lose because you're a terrible racist. <laughs> nah, all right. Well, that's fine. That's fair I enough, think, I, I guess. I think Joe, in a certain way, Joe won this week because now he knows that Agatha Christie is somebody he likes and maybe would return to. So that's cool. Yeah, and, and like all of my favorite weeks on this show are weeks that I read a book that I would not have read otherwise. And I, I would have died without reading an Agatha Christie novel. Like it, I was aware of it. I kind of, they really? were around me, but I was... It was never something I was going to go to before anything else. And I'm super glad I didn't just read one, but I think I really am glad I read this one. I, I really, really liked this book. If you want to help support the show, head on over to youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com and uh, suggest a theme, suggest a book. Uh, as I was just say, saying, some of my favorite weeks on this show, and I think I speak for Ian here as well, are you when you recommend books that we just wouldn't have read without you making us. So make us read a book, make us um, work through a theme, etc. While you're there, you can request a sticky and we're on social media everywhere that you think we are. And of course, the number one thing you can do to help the show is to talk about it with a bookish friend. Talk about it with a bookish friend. Did I get all my prepositions right there? Talk with a bookish friend about this show. Maybe that's better. Um, tell tell better. them that you are a lit head and that lit heads beget more lit heads. Um, slowly over time, but in also in a biological you know, fashion. Yeah, and biological beget each other. All right. Congratulations, Ian. Congratulations to the queens of crime. They're the real winners this week. Hey, Joe. You, yes. Your book sounds really good. It's super yeah. good. I, I would. Oh, Nick, if you aren't going to read my book, I would recommend that BBC miniseries. It's really killer. Megan watched it with me over the really? last few nights and she, I think, was super into it. When was it from? 2015? 2015. Sweet. Three episodes long. Each episode is an hour and it is a really faithful retelling of, of this book. A few things have changed, but nothing good. serious. Good. Oh, well. <laughs> a few things. Hopefully 10 things. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, congratulations too to Lithead Grace who suggested this theme. Thanks, Grace. This is a really good, good suggestion. And I, I have a new, um, a new mystery author to read. I'm going to read a section which is kind of a climactic moment. Uh, and we, we get to we get a little bit of detergent talk here. So. Ooh, Finally, I'm scummed. ready. <laughs> detergent talk, you say? Our main character's name is Troy. Troy thought. Tomorrow we step back into time. The return journey had taken on something of the character of a recurrent dream. Spires, fens, individual trees, locks, even a clod of tufted earth 
that had fallen away from a bank and was half drowned, or a broken branch that dipped into the stream and moved with its flow. These were familiar landmarks that they might have passed not once but many times before. At four in the afternoon, the Zodiac, the riverboat, entered the straight reach of the river below Ramsdyke Lock. Already drifts of detergent foam had begun to float past her, wisps of it melted on her deck. Ahead of her, the passengers could see an unbroken whiteness that veiled the river like an imponderable counterpane. They could hear the voice of Ramsdyke Weir and see a foaming pother where the corrupted fall met the lower reach. Troy leant on the starboard taffrail and watched their entry into this frothy region. She remembered how she and the others had discussed reality and beauty. Fragments of their conversation drifted across her recollection. She could almost re-hear the voices. In the eye of the beholder, a fish tin with a red label, was it the less beautiful? If a dead something popped up through that foam, a dead something, a dead something, a fish, a cat, through that foam, a dead something. The disappeared woman's face, idiotically bloated, looked up. Not at Troy, not at anything. Her mouth, drawn into an outlandish rictus, grinned through discolored froth. She bobbed and bumped against the starboard side. What terrible disaster had corrupted her riverweed hair and distended her blown cheeks? The taffrail shot upwards and the trees with it. The voice of the weir exploded with a crack in Troy's head, and nothing would ever follow it. 